welcome back to following Noah on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 98, and we are continuing through Dawn Shard by Brandon Sanderson. Paul, how are you? Doing great. I'm excited to have some, some real fun things to talk about with y'all this week uh, in Dawn Shard. How are you, Elliot? I enjoyed your live reaction to Chapter 6. And for our patrons, was was comical to me. It it was a good one. I felt like that chapter was like the mic drop, uh, or, or or like the beat drop of this song. I should say it's like the you know we had the slow intro kind of rolling, and all of a sudden just like the beat drops in in chapter six. It was like and they're sleepless everywhere. Like what? Did you guys see it coming? Honestly, no. But as soon as I read it, I was like, okay, I was being lazy. I should have been on the lookout for like something here. And I wasn't even thinking about it. Like if I had thought about it, if I, if I'd been paying attention, I might've caught it, but I actually didn't. When it came across, it was like, wait, what? I feel like I need to look for the quote. I almost like, I kind of was about to set the book down for a second I was just reading and I was like, oh, okay, like nothing really happening. And I don't remember what I was doing, but I was like, oh, I kind of want to go step away for a second. And then I read like one more page and was like, wait, <laughs> hold on. And I could not put it down for a bit. Um, I, I got really excited. I did not see this coming. Um, so I'm very, very excited, very excited going forward with our story now. Do you guys have two words to summarize these chapters? I have two words. I have discernment and signs. Oh, I like these two words. Elliot? Mine are omen and Nemo. Okay. Omen, Nemo, signs, and discernment. Let's use these four words and talk about Donchart. Right, I'm curious about Nemo. What does that mean? Well, I actually have to start with Omen. So I picked Omen for very obvious reasons. The characters in our, our story have to deal with these bad omens that keep coming around. The like ship's pet gets killed, and then there's worms in the grain, and then we see a dead Santhid. And Risen has to like try and turn the these omens around into into good things and so i was like okay omen well if you turn that exact word around little little symmetry here for you you get the word nemo so that's my second word which actually also does have a little bit of meaning on its own i actually have been thinking a little bit about Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea and kind of that nautical adventure vibe i'm starting to get that from this story where we're kind of we're off we're sailing it's all happy going and all of a sudden like bad stuff starts to happen and like we've got a dead santhid i'm kind of waiting for the kraken to show up like it's it's we're on a very nautical adventure so with could be with captain nemo from Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea 
Paul? Realizing that Omen is Nemo spelled backwards or vice versa, whichever you want to look at it, is really going to make me never watch Finding Nemo the same way again, <laughs> to be honest. Um, oh, uh, yes, we're talking about words, aren't we? We are. That's what we're doing. Um, so I said discernment and signs, and those go hand in hand because, one, we see a lot of just bad bad news bears signs um, going along. The Santhid is the biggest one. Before that, I forgot what it. I forgot what it was. There was a sign before that. The worms um, in the in the, the worms. Room. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, and and uh, all the crew are like, "Oh, this is cursed. This is bad. Whatever. Well, we need to. We should turn back." Not yeah. all the crew, but it's kind of like a and a before question of before the voyage even starts, the pet dies, um, and the ghost ship is is found, which is a a big no no. So. Everybody's kind of on edge for this voyage to start with. Plus, they're going to Aemia, so they're on the lookout for things to go wrong, and they see things go wrong. Yeah, for sure. Um, so discernment, I I put because Rissen is seeing all these things and has to use a good bit of just you know, like debating and and deciding whether or not. It is a sign that they should go back. Like, sh- should they keep going? Is she putting everyone in danger? Like, she really wants. She she is definitely on the side of like, I have to go. I have to go figure out what this is, or you know, stuff for Cheery Cheery as well. Uh, but she doesn't want to just like lead everyone hopelessly to their death if if there's bad stuff going on. Um, so kind of figuring that out, and then yeah, kind of reading reading all the signs. Um, I like what Elliot said, and and we see a lot of her just trying to frame things in a good light, which I'm going to stir the pot, because I think it's portrayed in a way of, like, um, she's taking these omens that people are viewing very poorly of, like, bad signs, and she's shifting them to be good signs that we could do something good here. Uh, is she being manipulative, though? Because it's like she really wants to go. And I feel like she's just twisting things so that she can go and her, the crew doesn't want her to turn back, you know? She has some shy in her. Is she shy? Do you know no, who shy is, Paul? Silly. Uh, I'm I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> uh, and Bruce Oh, 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 okay. But mani- okay, manipulative. Uh, Gautona. That's oh, where that gotcha. came from. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. That's a. That's something I didn't think of. Which stamp is on her to to get her here? Anyways, yeah, could be. I actually thought about Shalon a little bit there, Paul. I, I think you're not wrong, and that what she's doing is. It's definitely portrayed in a positive light, but it, yeah, if you think about it, she is kind of you know trying to a bit a little bit like 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 a politician trying to spin the story her way so she can get the crew to do what she wants and it reminded me of shalon and her like expectation that she had for like the uh the mercenaries that she she joined and how she like you know can tell them oh you are better people you can do this it is is that just kind of like making up a, a better story that you wish is the the case and kind of manipulating people to do your thing? Or does she actually like inspire them to become better? Like similar conversation. You mentioned 
How many leagues under the sea is it? 20,000. 20,000. I read that in fifth grade. Another book I read in fifth grade was Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And I get Voyage of the Dawn Treader vibes from this as well. You know, you're you're on a voyage, you've got a destination, but you're you're stopping here and there. Things are happening, mm-hmm. trying to keep the crew on your side. Fun fact, this story, Dawn Shard, is called a novella. And has a larger word count than Voyage of the Dawn Shredder. <laughs> Voyage, really? Yes. Voyage of the Dawn Shredder has yeah. 52,000 words and Dawn Shredder is 56. So it's that's just that's a, funny. That's a staple of Brandon Sanderson. Of It's a novella, but it's a it's a book. Yeah, that's actually funny. I, I, I read Narnia growing up and I guess I don't remember them being that short. But wow, that's really short. All right, chapter six. The worms show up in the food. We learn later that who who's responsible for that, but at the time we don't know. And this is Rissin's first big problem on the voyage. They they've had a couple interesting conversations with the the crew and uh, Lopin and stuff like that, but this is an actual problem. Um that's been presented to Rissin here and given her education, she can actually flip this um, with a short detour to Hexy and she trades the worm infested food for jerky uh, with some nomads that eat uh, worms for food because they don't, they, yeah, they don't view them as animals. They view them as plants and they don't eat meat they don't eat meat so i think somebody compliments her at the end of the the chapter on this and how that like was super impressive i don't remember who it was but she ha- she counters it with oh well i'm just using something that vistim taught me like this isn't me this is just vistim and his inspir- like his lesson and then they counter back. Man, I wish I could remember who this was. They counter back with, "No, that is you. That's that's part of you. This is your leadership. You might have learned it from someone else, but this is still part of who you are. Without you, we wouldn't have known that." And so that builds her her leadership, builds her credibility with the crew, who we talked about last episode. Don't really answer to her. She owns the ship, but they're going to respond to the captain and not her. And that's another part of the, the the leadership part that I was talking about last episode of can you can you show the crew that you're actually there to protect them? Can you show that the people that you're leading they can trust you? And this is a, a good this is a good example of that. Of Rissen thinks quickly on her feet and she says, No, trust me, I can get us out of this. And they do, they give her the benefit of the doubt and she comes through like that's huge in, you know, earning the trust of people who you are leading and gets her, um, it gets her a little more in that, you know, earned authority category, as opposed to just the title that she holds. And I believe it was Nick Lee that was having that conversation. They, Nick Lee and Risen actually have quite a few conversations through these chapters. So I think it was, I think it was him. Okay. Yeah. Or it. it. <laughs> Nickley, yeah, that would make sense because he's her porter, so it's his job to hang around her. 
All right, the the actual reason why we're here for the second half of chapter six. Nick Lee gets, you guys remember before we started Dawn Shard that I told you there was another point of view character who you hadn't met yet? I told you there was three. There was Rissen, there was Lopin, and then there was one more who you haven't met. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you ever think that it would be a sleepless that you would get the point of view of? Never. No, I, I did not think so. I guess you guys should have seen that coming. Yeah. So for those of you who didn't watch our Edge Dancer episodes, we we coined Sleepless Mr. Kremling Man and have been referring to them ever uh, ever since that way. So if that's if you if you picked us up somewhere in Oathbringer and you're just like, what the heck are they talking about? That's that's what we're talking about. Uh, we so, ask that same question all the time. It's the technical term. Right. For them. It's the um, it's the spoiler version. So sorry, we should yes. be using Sleepless. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Nickley is one of about twenty different mindsets of the these sleepless. They the sleepless are a hive mind and they have however many Kremlings associated with each hive with each mind, and they can talk to each other across Roshar instantaneously, which is the second half of chapter six that we get, which is just nuts. And they're talking they're all talking back and forth. They reference a couple of sleepless that have split themselves off from talking to each other and they kind of are pursuing their own goals. Whether that's encouraging to you or not, that's up to you <laughs> that we have some divergent sleepless that aren't part of AMEA, but the sleepless, the 20 sleepless that are still talking to each other, they are trying to actively keep everybody out of AMEA. And that's a big contributor to why nobody knows about AMEA is because there's 20 or so sleepless trying to sabotage any and every voyage to AMEA. For sure. So I was, I'm glad you mentioned it, Trevor. I was about to bring up, it says on page 101, it, it just briefly mentions like talk, talking about to all the swarms, they said, to all the swarms, all 20 that still accepted the leadership of the first. And so it's like talking, I guess there are 20 that still like follow the f- the first sleepless or swarm, um, but that there are others. And I'm wondering if their goal is to like protect this island. Is the one that we saw in Edge Dancer not one of the 20? The original Mr. Kremling Man. Um, that was my thought because I feel like he's not very concerned, or we don't really know his motives at all. Uh, but he definitely seemed to like be doing his own thing, at least in my mind. Um, the answer, the answer is yes. the The name is the ooh. same. Um, he is one of the ones that is not part of this twenty that's protecting Amia. He's doing his own thing. Ooh, okay. So I find that actually really encouraging here because I got. Pretty negative vibes off of that guy, the the Kremlin man we originally saw. He seemed like he was just kind of there to direct stuff or do his own thing. This group that Nickley is a part of seem a little more organized. They at least have a a, a somewhat more honorable motive. They're, they're protecting their homeland. They're trying to keep people away from it. They even maybe have a really good reason for that. 
maybe there's something really dangerous on the island they're trying to keep everyone away from. So they're not out there to just kind of, I don't know, get whatever they want because they're really powerful and they definitely could get a lot. They're there. They've got a purpose. They've got some organization. They've got some leadership. They're not as scary as maybe I thought they were. And Nickley even himself, he's like a nice guy. He's like watching out for Risen and like trying to give them warnings and stuff like that. He's not trying to kill anyone unless he feels like he has to. Right. Chapter nine and 10, we'll get into that later, but he actually opens up to Risen and tells her some stories about Amia. But during this chapter, Nick Lee abstains from the vote of killing the the crew or not of this voyage. And it's a 50-50 split between the uh, between the sleepless. So they're clearly not trying to kill people that like they're not overtly hostile to Roshar and everybody on it. They simply want to keep Aemia safe. So there are plenty of them who are still not wanting to kill the wander sail, even though it's headed straight for them. They're still trying to going to try to divert it via the dead sand which we'll talk about in two chapters here. And there's a few bits of information that we learn here that, strike me as pretty big. The first is that Nickley talks about how not all of his little Kremlin entity body things, appendages, are currently with him. He's got parts of him spread across the entirety of Roshar. And he's just one of these like 24, however many of these there are of these guys. That's a little mind-blowing if you think about it. These guys, the sleepless, like as a whole, hive mind, right? So they can talk together. They could be listening in on every single conversation everywhere in Roshar. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility here. Just a, a little, you know, Kremlin, Kremlingers are like the rats of, of Roshar, right? Mm-hmm. They, they could be in every pub, every castle, every everywhere, just kind of chilling, listening to what's going on. These guys are really powerful. We kind of know that already, but I'm learning that more. So every, Paul, you said that every Kremlin was a, a sleepless. I mean, it's possible. It, and I would say it might even be pushing towards likely that any of our main characters see a Kremlin. That just means they're being listened to by the sleepless. And then the other fact here that they have like this hierarchy. There's the first, and Nickley is like the 18th or, or something. Like that. I don't remember exactly what number he is. That I, I was kind of curious about that, like what the order is dependent. Like, are these guys born or created, or they, do they like split off of each other or something? Like, do a bunch of Kremlings get together and be like, we want to be a new sleepless? So they like uh, stage a little revolt against another one and form a new one. Like, how does that work? Your guess is as good as mine. And, and the authority, like chain of authority, seems to be strictly based on like that age. Like the oldest one, the first, he's in charge. And like you you have to, you know, give way to all of the the ones above you in the order. It's an interesting, interesting little social structure, I guess, there. 
Paul is a mistborn smirk over there. I do. I do. Uh-oh. Exactly. Uh-oh. I, was about to say, I didn't know if I should say anything. I, I I'm just. Not gonna, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm glad. I, I'm eternally grateful that you pointed out my, my smirk. Because I, it, I could read it. I was I was thinking about this. Okay. Oh, man. Curiosity officially that, peaked. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's good. It's good stuff. Um, but yeah, we, we see something, I think, pretty similar to this um, elsewhere. Um, yeah, I'm I am extremely invested. I didn't actually catch that, Elliot. That when you pointed out that like this is not all of Nick Nickley. I didn't actually catch that. I thought this was this was him, like in his entirety, you know. And I was kind of like, wow, I'm surprised they would have one of their twenty like just on the ship, you know. I was like, that, you know, I'm sure they've got things figured out, but you know. No, he's um, everywhere. Yep. Yeah, he's all the I mean, time. I thought about it, like, how many crumblings did it take to make up a Santhid? You know, like, that had to be a lot more than he, like, himself had on his person. Right. You know? Um. So, yeah, I'm kind of thinking the possibilities are kind of endless with our, with our sleepless people right now. Um, do, you, do you guys remember Axes way back in the Way of Kings? One of the things... That Axes does is he takes notes on his body. He like, yeah, makes tattoos of himself as he's walking around taking notes of Spren. As he takes notes on his body, and then mm-hmm. Edge Dancer, I don't remember our Sleepless's name, but he, in order to hide his sleeplessness and Kremlingness, he paints tattoos all over his body so that you can't see the joints between the Kremlings. Same thing here with Nick Lee. Is he's got tattoos all over his body. Did you guys pick up on that? I no, I didn't realize he had tattoos. I remembered that with Axes. So is Axes is I actually had this thought whenever we were mentioning stuff we knew was from Aemia. Was like, is he was he sleepless? Or is he one of these that have like left or part of another or what? Like, what's going on here? So, there are two types of Amians that we know of. There's a Dissian Amian, which is a sleepless. A, a, a bunch of Kremlings can disassemble and reassemble into a person. And there's Sia Amians, which is Axis. He's a blue dude. And he is a functionally immortal, as Tim put it in that episode that we had him on. And that's Axis. He can walk around Roshar as long as he wants. As long as he doesn't get decapitated, he doesn't really age. That's a Sia Amian. So the Sia Amians are not an amalgamation of Kremlin. As far as we know. Okay. But they do clearly have some superpowers, just not the same superpowers. Right. Okay. This is kind of an unimportant thing, but I could not shake the thought. Um, we see Nickley, I assume, as a dead Santhid to be a, th- a th- kind of a threat, a warning, a sign, a bad omen to this crew because Santhids are so like mystical and highly revered and stuff. And we we know in the world here in Roshar that Santhids are very rare, like. It, Shalon got to see one, and it was like groundbreaking. 
like that was like crazy. Like no one had really gotten to see under the shell of a great of a, of a sainted, right? Or at least depict what was under the shell of a sainted, right? Um, and now I'm wondering: are sainteds actually a thing, or are they just sleepless little submarine spies? And that that would explain why they're so rare too, because like. There's not many sleepless, and they're not just going to, you know, be Santhids all the time. But, like, are Santhids actually real things, or are they just sleepless vessels now? I feel like that's a legitimate question. Yeah. I don't the, know that we're going to find an answer to that, but the, I feel like it's 50-50 odds. I think I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against it. I do think the only evidence I can think of against your theory there is they do talk in one of these chapters about like the Thalens. They have a few like Santhid shells that have like washed up on the beaches or something like that. So it's very possible that the sleepless have, you know, concocted those as part of the, you know, the ruse that, oh yeah, Santhids are totally a thing. Here's a few shells to, to prove to you that they are, they are real, but you could also go that no, we have some physical evidence of Santhids, perhaps. I don't know. Could be fifty yeah. fifty still though. That's true. I didn't actually think about that, which which makes the, sense. And another question I would have is why would they do that? Like and just spy on people with Kremlings, why would they make a full Santhid to track a yeah. boat? But but I'm I'm not but, I'm not gonna destroy your theory. That's that's true, and, and I thought about it kind of in the sense of the sleepless, as far as I know, have been around forever. Like they're kind of ageless, or most for the most part. Um, and that Santhids are kind of this like old mystery. So whoever, whenever the first chose to do that way back in the day, they've just become a thing of legend over time. But yeah, that was what went went through my mind whenever we saw this Santhid and saw it tear apart into a million Kremlings, I was like, what was our other Santhid? Was he real? Right. There was one other bit of the sleepless discussion that caught my eye, and I think this is just kind of part of the conversation that the different sleepless are having with each other. And I, I didn't even write down that the page number, so I don't remember the exact quote, but they, they reference the sighted in their discussion, they talk about like, watch out for the sighted or something like that. And they just kind of move on. It's just kind of a drop in the middle of the the conversation, but it got me curious. I was wondering who they were talking about, who that might be. The only thought was my only theory would be maybe cord. I was thinking that the, the horn eaters, right. They can see spread. So maybe the, the sleepless know this and they know that, Oh yeah, we got to watch out a little bit for, they've got a horn eater with them. They have a sighted with them who can see spread, which is going to help them. Maybe that was the, the reference. I don't know, Trevor, if you can tell us or not, but that was my only thought. I I can tell you the, I'm not hundred percent positive on this, but it is their term for horn eaters. Okay. That, so one of you, I don't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or maybe this was theorized somewhere else, but one of you were talking about the sleepless being tied to cultivation. Yes. And I don't remember when this was talked about, but the sleepless being tied to cultivation and they're the sleepless are kind of cultivations, eyes and ears around, around Roshar. And later on in this episode, chapter nine, 
Cord talks to Rissen about the Sleepless and says, we've got stories, they're one of our gods. Uh, they hang out around the Horn Eater Peaks and that they're part of our religion, along with Spren, along with people who come out of Cultivation's Perpendicularity. So the only reason why I think they would be there in vast numbers enough to be a part of maybe the Horn Eater religion is if they are protecting the perpendicularity maybe and working with cultivation in that in that aspect and that would not be my plausible theory there but i don't know that that's an interesting thought and that is actually that that is a theory that i spun back in in towards the end of oathbringer when we were starting to learn a little more about the night watcher and and cultivation I still have that, you know, written down as as a potential theory out there. I was actually starting to convince myself away from that theory, though. It seems like in this chapter that the sleepless are acting a little more autonomously. They don't seem like they're taking direction necessarily from like cultivation. So I'm starting to think like, oh yeah, maybe not not tied to cultivation. But but now you're convincing me back towards the the argument. Maybe that that actually does help with this. The fact that they're somehow related to the horn eaters or the horn eaters know of them and that vicinity to cultivation's perpendicularity. So maybe I need to dust off that theory again. Any thoughts over there, Paul? Yeah. Well, I was thinking about partly when, when we said that it was probably when we were learning about cultivation. And what I always remember is learning about this mysterious Island that was kind of like shrouded and no one ever went there. I was like, Oh, I bet that's where cultivation is. Um, and kind of also with the sleepless, like maybe being tied in there somehow. Um, but it was it was kind of more offhanded, so I'm not 100% sure to what to make if that is actually a connection or not. I would believe it. Um, I would also kind of believe if there's something else, not entirely sure. At this point in the podcast, moving forward. I don't know if I can ever confirm or deny any of our theories that we make, and I'll be making theories right along with you guys because I have vague memories of this content moving forward. So I will just say plausible and we'll move forward, I guess. Part. Did you guys have anything? Well, sorry. Did you guys have anything from chapter seven that you want to talk about? We can talk a little bit more about span reads like free did from last week and how aluminum kind of interacts with that i i enjoyed the scene where is it huio i can never say his name right it always gets jumbled in my brain huio huio bless you but yeah huio is like messing with the the span read and he's like oh yeah i can i can take it apart i can put it back together it's fine i'm it, it don't worry about it and then he breaks it and he can't put it back together and we learn a little bit about you know aluminum in that in in the course of things there and how it seems like the the spren are afraid of it that they like back away from it or it inhibits their abilities somehow perhaps Which, if you rem- remember back to Oathbringer, remember Vivenna's silvery plates that 
shielded her from the sighted, um, the the what the void bringers that were tracking their span reads. Yes. If that were aluminum, would that not have just broke the span read too? Like, you know, that much aluminum, that close to a or a soul caster and a, and their span read. So, what is that? Is this actually aluminum? Is that aluminum? Is that silver? Is that something else? Just some questions to be thinking about. Of you, you just really have to be careful who's calling what which metal. Yeah, I'm definitely getting a little confused. I feel like maybe Paul, your your experience with Mistborn and the the metals that are over there is helping you some, but I'm I'm sure you won't share with me, so I'll just have to sit over here confused by myself. Yeah, I I won't share, but just know I do know everything. I definitely <laughs> have the answer, and I know exactly uh, the pieces you're missing. I think when we do Mistborn, it'll be actually a funny dynamic of this podcast because I've read Mistborn but it's been years and Paul will be fairly fresh off of Mistborn when we read it as a podcast. So maybe Paul will figure out our chapter splits for that. Yeah, maybe so. By the time we get there though, I will, I will be a bit out, but not years, like a year, maybe two from whenever I started. Cause I've read it pretty slowly. Chapter nine, there are three different, conversations that happen in chapter nine and they're pretty they're pretty cool each of the three of them they're very different each of the three of them this is after the santhid has appeared everybody freaks out they tow it to shore and then it disassembles into a bunch of little kremlings and runs away and everyone's like what the heck was that and then we go into chapter nine where they all just sit on the beach and they're like okay chill out we're okay that whatever that was we'll we'll be fine we're going to keep going but there's a conversation between nickley and rissen cord and rissen and rushu and rissen that all three have pretty f- fairly big implications but for different reasons let's talk about the nickley versus rissen one first what'd you guys get from this one is this when nickley is he he's very adamantly trying to convince um Rissen to turn back. Um and is this whenever he's trying to say that maybe Cord or someone else is like responsible or kind of a not not yet. That's chapter ten. Oh, right. Okay, okay, okay. Chapter nine so, is a little bit more genuine. And this this is where Nickley starts to like actually share some stories, right? It's almost like he's opening up a bit. Although I had to be a little cautious because we just learned that this guy is deceiving everyone in that he is pretending to be a human. He's not. He's actually sleepless. So can we actually trust the stories that he's saying? I'm not sure. I feel like at least I want to trust most of them. So the gist of it, I want to believe, but I'm also not quite going to take everything he says as, as true. But he tells that the biggest takeaway I, I wrote down from it was he talks about how Aemia was in, inhabitable. It was, it was, you, you couldn't live there until these beings came and they, it seems like had knowledge of Fabrials maybe soul casters and were able to transform it into 
maybe not like a paradise, may, maybe a paradise, but a, a livable place. And it was the power of those fabrials that was like allowing life to thrive there. That was kind of the the takeaway from his story that I got. So if you remember back to our interlude that that where we barely touched down on Aemia, there's an eye to this storm around Aemia, and they break through it. And there's actually not a storm on top of Aemia itself, but there is a storm surrounding it, and you have to break it to get in it. And whether that is natural or unnatural, it's beginning to lean more towards unnatural because he tells the story of the scouring of Aemia from his... He he claims this is what his people, you know, passed down. He hasn't revealed himself as a sleepless at this point, but he claims that that these are the legends and that people... After the Knights Radiant fell, the Amians and the Knights Radiant were fairly closely tied. There's an Oathgate there that they were really good allies. And as soon as the Knights Radiant fall, then everybody comes and scours Aemia. They steal all of the Fabrials. They steal all of the Larkins that were uh, probably on the on the island and whatever else is there, and destroy the fabrial defense of the island and it becomes uninhabitable which which definitely gets me even more curious to go see like what's there what's the state of it now is it does it really have like cities full of treasure just like left over from all that or is it really kind of nothing and the the Sleepless are just defending this kind of for for old time's sake. They're like this. This is our homeland. We'll 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 defend it against you. Leave us alone. It doesn't seem like that. It seems like there's something big they're defending. Is it treasure? Is it an oath gate? Is it something different? Is it cultivation? Like those are the questions I'm asking. Do you remember the mic drop line at the end of that interlude? The end of the Kaza interlude. Kaza is about to die. The Kremlin lady, the the cook who was on the ship, comes up to her and says, "We warned you not to come here." What did she say? I remember the very last line where she's like, "Nope, sorry, I can't tell you that, even though you're about to die, because people can still steal your secrets after you're dead or something like that." But I, you're referencing like one line before that I, which am. I don't remember yeah i have no idea she says i can't tell you the consequences could destroy worlds oh yeah do you remember that yes so so basically the plans to the death star are there on amia yes 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 yeah exactly well what that imply the Death Star's already made and that's how you destroy it is getting the plan? What? Okay, never, never mind. I Maybe. won't I won't pull that too far. <laughs> There's one other thing from that interlude that I'll recall. When she when she does land on the beach and she's already been poisoned, um she does see gem hearts and gemstones just everywhere on on the island. Do you guys remember that? where 
Yes. That, that that's the whole inspiration for her, for her, her captain to sail there is, you know, there's, there's treasure on the Island and there's gems and every, all sorts. And she lands on the Island and there is in fact, gems just strewn about on the beach. So. I'm, I'm hoping we'll learn a lot more about it because I think I have a lot of like loose string thoughts about Aemia or and just where we're going and stuff, but I I don't know who to trust. I don't know what to actually think. Right. I'm I'm hoping it has to do with Dawn Shards. I'm hoping we'll learn secrets of the sleepless. But I I don't know. I I I, I can't realistically make a a super big assumption or super assertive assumption right now, I think. I'm very excited. Once Sleepless like came into the picture here, as soon as we like see the point of view of Nick Lee and he's like talking to to the other people, I got so like my excitement level went from like a four to a ten. Like I was so invested, and and now I'm extremely excited. Um, but I still don't know what we're gonna learn. I just know it's really exciting now because I'm hoping we'll learn more about them. But the uh, the next conversation between Rissen and Cord seems fairly low key, but it actually has a lot of really interesting implications. She references the sleepless. She warns Rissen about the sleepless, which is a reference to three chapters ago where the other sleepless warn Nickly about Cord, and they say Cord could figure you out pretty quick here. And she does. She says, hey, they're sleepless on Aemia, and we need to be careful of them, which flags Rissen for the next chapter here. But um, she also talks about... Uh, Kor talks about the interaction between uh, people in the Spren world, is what she says. Did you guys catch that? This has to do with the aluminum that they that they were talking about before. I remember she talks about like they trade for aluminum or something like that. Right. Or they they trade aluminum out to Spren or people in Shadesmar. They they trade aluminum in. They get aluminum okay. from Shadesmar, from someone in Shadesmar, and they take it through Cultivation's Perpendicularity, and it's sold to the Horn Eaters. So, a couple questions here. They obvious, the only reason why a Horn Eater would want aluminum is that they, have, that they know or have been shown what it does to Spren, and they can manipulate Spren that way, Right. Unless there's other uses for it, but that's the that's the implications we're getting here. Is cord understands alum like understands some greater implication of implications of aluminum because it's been traded back and forth between Shadesmar and the Horn Eater Peaks. Okay, with me so far. Yep. Somebody in Shadesmar is trying to get aluminum and trying to teach Roshar about aluminum. Second question. What is being traded out in 
it to Shadesmar from the Horn Eater Peaks, and he guesses. What does somebody off of Roshar want from the Horn Eater Peaks? Paintings. One painting in particular. One painting for all the aluminum ever, ever. Yes. Like in the Cosmere. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think about what, what, what does Roshar have that they're, that they're offering out besides crabs? What is a good question? What is the currency on Shadesmar? We've been there before. I, I was about to ask if it's related to light or, or stormlight. Yes. Perhaps. Okay. Stormlight, like stormlight is being traded off mm-hmm. of Roshar. So okay. the power from the high storm is being traded off of Roshar into Shadesmar. Okay. What, with your greater scope of the Cosmere, what does that mean? What is stormlight? Is- in investiture investiture is what i want to say investiture it is Mm -hmm. raw harnessed in a sphere investiture Mm -hmm. that anyone can use doesn't matter what magic system you're from it's just investiture they call it stormlight on brochard that's because that's where it comes it comes from the storm it's light they call it stormlight but Roshar is very unique in that you can house investiture with this little gem. So for time, for, for yeah, for two weeks or whatever mm-hmm. it is, unless you got like the king's drop in which it never, you know, right, mm-hmm. never fades or whatever. So someone figured out, wait, we can get raw investiture off of Roshar. That it apparently is extremely valuable to the point where you're willing to invest aluminum into the system to get raw investiture out. Okay. Understand. Sounds like a, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a, a business that like the ghost bloods would be in They're They're like the ones I would, I could imagine being like the, the aluminum smugglers of, of Roshar. That actually makes sense. And I really haven't figured out the ghost bloods piece of the puzzle. Like, I don't know why they would still be a relevant thing. But that makes sense. Um, and part of me, uh, I feel like I should step back and actually explain a little bit of my thought process earlier. I said Stormlight, but that was kind of an educational guess, because I was like, it could definitely be something else that I just am not thinking of. And I was like, what do you people in our other worlds we've seen use? And I was thinking specifically of Warbreaker, um, and I don't know if this is direct correlation like I'm thinking, but like breaths, I think of it, it's it's a lot with colors and, and light. And so I was like, that's pretty close. So I could somehow see that like through whatever like transformations that it goes through or whatever in Shadesmar being transported world to world, like that somehow their investiture got changed there. But I don't know if that's actually something that's fueled, like all this investiture came from Roshar. Or if there was some on this other planet as well, and they know it as breaths, um, but it's like a different way of transferring stormlight instead of like spheres and whatnot. Um, so not sure, but that that was my thought process, and I kind of just wanted to share y'all that that with y'all. I don't know if that has significance or if I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the side it 
does and to have near as much significance as I speculated, but I that was my thought. Do you have input maybe, before maybe I this. talk, Elliot? No, oh, I think it's good thoughts. So I'll kind of clarify this for you just so that you don't go down the wrong rabbit hole there. The investiture, there's a couple, I won't say this is a full blanket statement, but investiture is investiture everywhere that it's going to manifest itself differently based on the shard that it comes from, but you can still use it as breaths, as stormlight, as insert your magic system here, wherever you are. Does that make sense? So honor has died on Roshar, right? And the high storm is invested with the storm father, which is a, a splinter of honor tracking so far. Yes. Stormfather pushes across Roshar every nine days, invests the entire continent with these little gemstones, and someone figures out, hey, that's really useful over here where there's not much investiture, right? I can go take this with this planet with a bunch of investiture everywhere. Everybody just takes it as common everyday occurrence that there's a stormlight everywhere i can take that over here where investiture is way more valuable and trade it or use it power money whatever donks comprendo mm -hmm. see definitely makes a lot of sense as you describe that it, it almost seems like shifting that much power like across the universe seems like it might like upset the scales of balance or something like you're you're taking a lot of power where it's supposed to be and moving it to where it's not supposed to be but maybe that's totally incorrect and investor investor could just be where wherever but yeah the the economy of the of it all makes sense from what you're talking about and i'll leave it there for now but we will revisit this do you guys have anything any other thoughts uh, like we if you have any more thoughts we can talk about it but I'm not going to feed you any more lines. I'm curious to talk about Luxbren, actually, if we're ready to move on to that. By all means. I, that, that's pretty much the whole, the whole hook, the whole line there. I, I'm curious <laughs> about Luxbren. I, we, we get a mention to them in this chapter with, with Cord. She sees some Luxbren in the sky and she's like talking to Rissa about how they're, they're beckoning us onward. They're telling us we have to, to do this. And we've seen Lux Bren before, right? I was trying to, I was racking my brain as to where and why and with what are, are these the, the Spren that we saw congregating around the, the chasm fiends in the, uh, in the Shattered Plains. Have we seen them elsewhere as well? Yes. Um, they show up around Sky Eels. They show up around Chasm Fiends. That's right. They show up around Great Shells. And there's a line 
from Shalon that says uh, in Oathbringer that says, "Whoa, these things show up around chasm fiends," and Kaladin says, "Well, why would they? They don't fly. Why would they show up around chasm fiends?" And Shalon says, "Well, mathematically, they do, because." They should be crushed under their own weight. Their body does not make sense. And there's some sort of external force that's causing them to stay alive. What's in a chasm fiend? A gem heart? Yes. What is in a singer? Also a gem heart? Would it be plausible to assume that there are some animals that naturally use stormlight or investiture because they have a gem heart? Sure, seems logical. I, yes, I. Yes, I, I want to. I'm not going to tangent long on this, but this is also in comparison with my. I don't know why I'm just thinking about Warbreaker. But there was like all the levels of breaths, and there was like a very base level, like one or five breaths or something like that, things you can do. And I kind of think of it like that, like a very base level that's kind of like understood for existence to happen. Um, I kind of think of it like that, like a very base, base level of investiture that's probably kind of in a lot of living things or like stuff like that. I'm not sure if this is confirmed or whatever, but theory, chasm fiends, chasm fiends evolved past what they should be physically able to do based on in stormlight because they can naturally use stormlight to sustain their bodies and they're way bigger than they should be. So, so is the, the assumption there that, that we might draw that the Luxbren are attracted to creatures or beings innately wielding stormlight investiture. Like, how do the Luxbren come in? More specifically, gravitation. Okay. Things right. that fly, things that kind of defy gravity, physically, like physics, that's what they're attracted to. Okay. Okay. Got Sky it. eels. Yeah. Chasm fiends. Understand? Got it. Sleepless, mm-hmm. apparently. Sleepless, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember when Cheery Cheery sucked in Stormlight and grew? That's what yeah. I'm excited to see. I'm hoping he'll keep growing. Yep. All right, Rushu and Rissen have a conversation, and Rushu comes over and says, hey, this aluminum messed with this fabrial, and so it only goes up and down, and not side to side. And I was thinking, you need to go up and down a lot. I could make you a chair that just goes up and down, and then side to side with a different fabrial, and you can go wherever you want on the hover chair. Want to try it? (laughs) It was pretty clever. I enjoyed the the engineering behind it, which was was pretty fun. Gets a little hover chair. I'm I'm I can't help but think of like 
Yoda from Star Wars in the the prequels where he like has his little hover chair that he floats around on. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of what Risen has now. She can you know, float around on her little hover chair, which was which was pretty cool. The the whole concept of it, the the mechanics behind it where they've got like an anchor and they like is is it is is it reversed where they they lower the anchor and the chair goes up or is it they they hoist the anchor up and the chair comes up with it i couldn't remember so in theory you can do either one with a paired fabriel you could do up and you go up they already know about reverse fabrials back in words of radiance they they raised those archer platforms against the parshendi do you remember those um, Navani had yeah. those those archer yep. platforms, so they just figured out a way they can do both of paired Fabriel. I can go up with you, or reverse Fabriel. I go down and you go up. I I'm gonna have to go reread it because I got a little nervous for Risen at one point because I was envisioning the the reverse being the case of like they they lower the anchor by you know three feet and her chair rises by three feet. That seems really dangerous because if you if you accidentally drop that anchor off the ship and it sinks to the bottom of the ocean yeah Rissen goes shooting like a thousand feet up into the sky so but they have wind runners they could just go (laughs) that's true you know they can just they could just go escort her back down right that's absolutely true i shouldn't worry about that anymore lopin is is a pro at at flying people around apparently so all right i feel better now that's really funny, though. I didn't think about that. All right, chapter 10. Nick Lee is exposed. He goes one step too far and tries to frame Cord for everything that's been happening. And Rissen is prepared for it. She had personally searched Cord's room herself. And so then Nick Lee comes out and says, hey, I found Blackbane in Cord's room. And Nick and Rissen says, no, you didn't. I checked it myself. And then throws, right. throws him off the ship. I was really happy when this happened because, like, it seemed very obvious to me as the reader. I, I knew, like, as the reader, I knew the perspective of Nick Lee. So I knew from the get-go. So maybe my perspective was skewed. But the way he presented it, it was very adamant, kind of out of the blue, seemed fishy anyways, even if I didn't know. Right. And I'm very, very glad that Rissen caught on to that and, and exposed him. I, I was very happy. She's smart. She she is definitely smart. She's not easily fooled. And I'm actually, I'm really impressed with her. She She's come a long way from that. I don't know if she was honestly a teenager, but that's kind of how I envision her, like the first time that kind of cranky whiny teenager we saw the very first time we we met her here she she's so much more mature she's so i don't know how much she's actually aged since then but she is she's way more calm she's way more thoughtful she doesn't panic when things go wrong she doesn't you know freak out she actually she she sits down she thinks she comes up with a plan she stays cool and she she sees through the 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 facade i I was pretty impressed and then what does nick lee do Gets banished. Uh, before that. 
Well, he tries to, he pleads with them one last time to get them to to turn around, right? He, right. He's kind of stating his final case of, no, guys, you really don't want to do this. He does, I mean, with the previous chapter, he does genuinely care about this crew. He doesn't want them to continue on to Aemia, not because he wants really to protect Aemia, but because he knows his fellow sleepless will kill them. And they they're not going to care, and he wants to save their lives. That's why he's trying to turn them around. And the moment that actually cemented that in my mind was that Nickley does care was actually back to that floating chair. They're taught when, when they discover that floating chair, they're like, man, this is going to have huge implications for, you know, people who are handicapped across Rochard. Like this is going to make a big difference. And Nickley's like, yeah, you're right. This is going to make a big difference. You should probably tell other people about it just in case anything might happen to us. I, like he literally says that right. He's like, you need to tell people about this because it will make a big difference just in case something were to happen. Like it's kind of funny and threatening, but then also like it shows he cares. He wants them to share this like important discovery that they discovered in case the other sleepless have to kill them all. Like he, at some level he does care. He might still kill them all, but he does care. Right. It just depends on what the sleepless's motivation here is. That I mean, in I think in Nickley's point of view, having to kill them is completely justified to what he's protecting, which is why he's trying to turn them around. So, and that's what really has me curious is he's he he. I mean, he's really trying to get this to to not work out, and I'm wondering he's just going to resort to them like attacking the ship or something because Nickley kind of pleaded. He was like, no, I think I can get them to turn around. Like don't do anything crazy yet. Uh, but now that he's failed in that regard, are we going to see some real craziness come out? I I think we might. I think we very well might. Any closing thoughts for chapter 10 or any part of episode 98 just a, a crazy theory if you're ready for it i'm ready for it so this actually sparked in my mind as we were recording uh the last episode trevor something you said sparked an idea and i have to share it now before we realize what happens and it becomes completely irrelevant but the theory is you mentioned that the, the goal here, the quest, if you at least from Rissen's perspective, is to help Chiri Chiri. She's trying to heal the corruption that her Larkin Chiri Chiri has obtained. Absorbed. Absorbed, that's a better word. I can think of someone else who is dealing with some red investiture corruption that maybe we would oh. think things would be better if he wasn't. And the person, Trevor, I think you've guessed it, that I'm thinking of is is Renarin. Renarin has is a truth watcher. And he's bonded a spren, truth watcher spren, who is corrupted. If this works, 
if they get Chiri Chiri to Aemia and are able to heal her, him, it, whatever it is, and remove the corruption, could Renarin do the same? Could Renarin go to Aemia and heal his spren, remove the Ja'anat corruption from his spren, and get back to the way it's supposed to be, or, or the correct bond, whatever that's supposed to be. That's my crazy thought or theory of what could possibly happen here. I, I like it. I really want uh, I want Renarin to be a perfect little truth watcher and save the world. And we know he's an integral piece now as of the end of Oathbringer. Like way more integral than, than I thought. Um, and that would be a cool way for this to connect. So I would be a big fan of that. And maybe by then, you know, Chiri Chiri will have sucked in enough stuff and be a full-size dragon and Renarin will get to ride. Um, <laughs> On the back of the dragon. That'd be Sign cool me up. Yeah. Let's go. I'd be down. Sounds, sounds, if not plausible, then feasible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely most it's it's most likely that this will happen. Oh, okay. Exactly. So, I think it's the likely option. Anything else for episode ninety-eight? All right. With that, we will conclude and reconvene next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. See you guys. Farewell. Well.